You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Open up your Bible to Matthew 2. I want to take a look at those first 12 verses of Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, a star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lord God, thank you for your word. We ask you to bless us as we study your word. We ask you, Lord, that your hand is upon us at this time, and that every person hearing these words, Lord, that you would direct our thoughts and bless our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. So... You might uh, be thinking, didn't we hear a message last week on the wise men? And isn't Christmas over? And you'd think, uh, what, another message on wise men? You know, it's not that, uh, the thing is that Christmas doesn't end at 12 o'clock midnight, midnight on December the 25th. The fact is that the events of the birth of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas time, they signal the beginning They signal the beginning of our experience with Christ, not the ending. Um, The birth of Christ takes place within us as well. And as Christians, they signal the beginning of the life of a Christian. So for Christians, nothing stops after Christmas is over because Christ lives within us. And so the birth of Christ is just the beginning. I know you know the story very well, but... There's more to this account of the wise men than what we talked about last week. The account of wise men are an account of faith. They're an account of lives that are living out faith. There's uh, There's a lot of the story of wise men 
that is just simply shrouded in mystery. Much of it is a mystery. From, uh, from tradition, we know some of the facts and we know the details, but there are so many questions that we don't know about these wise men. For example, we don't really know how many there were. We assume that there were three. We know that there were at least three, but maybe there were more than three. Where did they come from? We can make some guesses about where they came from, but we don't really know where they came from. How long was exactly their journey? We can surmise that it was maybe a thousand miles, but we don't really know for sure. The wise men just kind of show up mysteriously, and just as mysteriously, they're gone. I'd like to point out three different points that we can learn from this account of the wise men. The first one is that the wise men's journey was a journey of faith. They asked a question. They said, Where is he who has been born the king of kings? We've seen his star in the east. It's a journey of faith. You have to ask yourself, what would prompt somebody to leave the comfort of their homes and go on a long, arduous journey? We know that the wise men were wealthy. They brought expensive gifts. They had wealth. They had comfort. So what would cause them to leave all of that and go on a journey. Maybe romance. Romance could cause somebody to go on a long journey. Wealth. Do men go on a long journey to hopefully obtain wealth? Absolutely. But faith? Would faith cause someone to go on a long, arduous, dangerous journey? Faith is something entirely else. Uh, The question was, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? There's no doubt that they were absolutely sure that he had been born. That wasn't in question. Their question was, where is he? They'd seen the star. The star was evidence. The star was there. The star was real. And so now their question is, where is he? They had faith that he was absolutely alive. And now all they needed to do was find him. Their purpose was established. It was to find the king. And so they were willing to absolutely risk everything to find him. They were willing to leave the safety and the comfort of their homes. They were willing to risk a potentially deadly journey to seek the king of kings. Can you imagine what their neighbor's reaction was? Maybe they talked to their neighbors before they left on the journey, and they said that they were going, and their neighbor said, well, where are you going? And they said, well, we don't really know exactly. They said, well, how far is it? Well, we really don't know. How long are you going to be gone? Well, I'm really not sure about that either. We're just going. You know, Abraham was in the same situation when he left his home for the promised land. You could say the same thing about Noah when he was building the ark. And they must have said the same kind of things about Peter, Andrew, James, and John when they left their fishing nets to become fishers of men. And the question then of them might have been, are you crazy? Have you lost it? Are you insane? The answer is no, not crazy, not insane, not out of their minds. They were men of faith. A journey with God always involves faith. We read in Scripture that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Why is that? It's because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists 
and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. It always involves faith. Hebrews 11, the sixth verse, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. People of faith have always been willing to move forward into the unknown over and over again down through history. The second point that I want to make is that a wise man's journey is one of worship. When the wise men came on their journey, their purpose was to worship. It was to find the Lord, and they, they had a purpose. It was to worship, and they brought items that they were going to worship Him with along the way. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We talked about these last week, that these gifts have a lot of symbolism associated with them. Gold is a precious metal. It's a precious metal that is a gift that's fit for a king. And in that we see that Jesus was the king of kings. Frankincense was an incense that was used in worship, and it was associated with the priesthood. And it was uh, uh, the, the, the priesthood was... Uh, their purpose was to intercede for worshipers, and this speaks of Jesus' deity and his intercession for us with God. And myrrh is a fragrant ointment. It was used to anoint the dead, to embalm and preserve them. That is a strange gift for a baby, isn't it? It's a strange gift for a baby, but in that we see that from the beginning that Jesus was intended to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to earth, and the intention was for him to intercede for us and to take our sins upon himself so that we could one day stand before God sinless and guilt-free. But there's more to just there's more to worship than gold, frankincense, and myrrh, isn't there? Because worship always involves sacrifice. You would ask about the sacrifice of the wise men's journey. There was a price that they paid. They gave themselves to that journey for a very long time. Travel in those days was inconvenient. It was uncomfortable. You could probably say that it was downright miserable, even for these wealthy men. And it could be also downright dangerous. The wise men sacrificed their comfort to find a king and worship him. Think about riding a camel for a thousand miles. I have no idea what it would be like to ride a camel. I've never ridden a camel. But it doesn't look very comfortable. When I see, when I see someone riding a camel on TV, which is about the closest I've ever come to a, a camel except for maybe in a zoo, um, it doesn't look comfortable. It looks, it looks really, looks really arduous. Imagine riding a camel for a thousand miles. Not only that, they, they put themselves in danger, tremendous danger, not just, for, um, not just for criminals that might be along the way, but for you know, other elements, uh, uh, natural elements or animals. We read about something that David says about sacrifice in 2 Samuel 24, the 21st verse. He said, I will not offer to God, uh, to the Lord my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. True worship always involves sacrifice. It takes something out of us. Romans says it like this in Romans 12, the first verse. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. To truly worship requires sacrifice. You might say to God, you might say, I've given him nothing today. And I would respond to you, you have. You have given him something. The thing that you can give God the most that he values the most is yourself. And even today you've given him something of yourself. You've given him your time to be here. You have prepared for your journey. You got up. You got dressed. You prepared yourself to seek the king. You got in your car. You burned up some gas to come over here. You gave your time. Some of you gave an offering to help cover the kingdom expenses of ministry that require financial support. When you came today, you came as a living sacrifice. And even though you probably didn't realize it, the efforts that you made to worship God today is your sacrifice to Him. But here's a fact that I want you to remember. What God wants most of all above everything else is you and I. He wants us. He wants your heart. He wants your attention. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, what am I willing to give Him? Am I willing to give Him my best? the best of myself? Am I willing to go on a spiritual journey, a journey that might involve uh, putting ourselves in discomfort, putting ourselves in danger, making sacrifice for Him? Am I willing to give up my comfort to serve and follow Christ? The wise men were, and they were called wise men not only because they sought the Lord, but because they worshipped Him, it's why they were wise. So are we wise people today? Are we wise men and wise women? A wise man's journey is one of change. If you look at Matthew 2, the 12th verse, we read there, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for, for their own country another way. So the wise men came, they, they sought Herod, for information about the Lord. So they went to Herod. They spoke to him. But isn't it interesting that after they worshipped the Lord, after they worshipped Jesus, they couldn't go back the same way they came. That's true for you and I today. Once we've met the Christ, we're not the same. Once we've met the Lord, we're changed. We can never go back the way we came. An encounter with God changes everything. It changes you. It changes me, doesn't it? It's always been that way. When people encounter the Lord, they're changed. Jacob wrestled with God and he never walked the same the rest of his life. Isaiah stepped into the presence of God and he proclaimed... Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's from Isaiah 6, the fifth verse. Isaiah was never the same again. Job questions God over and over again concerning his suffering. And when God shows up, Job says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I say to you? He said, I lay, my, I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken and I will not answer even twice, I will add nothing more. 
Job met God, and he was forever changed. That's what happens when we walk into the presence of God. When we walk into the presence of God, we're changed. When the wise men encountered the Lord, they were changed. That's what happens when we encounter the Christ. Everything changes. I'm convinced that it happens nearly every time we enter the presence of God. Change takes place. God is working the work in our lives that he wants to see when we end this life and when we come face to face with him for for that final time. He's working that change. Probably one of the best known and one of the most loved pieces of scripture that we read at Christmas time is that account of the birth of Jesus that we read in Luke 2, 1 through 20. And I'd like to read just a little part of that. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually start to practice the things that we hear and sing about at Christmas time? That we could actually live them out as we should as Christians throughout the year, throughout the entire year. Wouldn't it be great if we could take that Christmas spirit with us all the way through the entire new year and on around until the next Christmas. When it comes to thinking about how Christmas should really affect us, I think about that the words of that uh, Christmas song, Casting Crowns, sings a great, um, a great version of that song. It's called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. <clears throat> the words are, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. For wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Those words are from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, as an interesting aside. What if everyone who talks about peace on earth at Christmas time actually started to practice it in their everyday lives? Think about how different our world would be. Think about how different our families would be. If everyone who talks about goodwill to men, we know that an encounter with the Christ changed the wise men's life. And what about the shepherds that heard the angels and saw the baby Jesus? Did an encounter with the Lord make a difference in their lives too? I'm convinced that once the shepherds saw the Lord, that 
their lives were never the same again. It's really true. You know, it's really true, uh, that saying that, that goes, a baby changes everything. People who have had children know that that's true. A baby changes everything. And we know that certainly the life of Mary and Joseph was changed. Now they had a baby to take care of. Uh, now their life revolved around the baby. Um, if you're going to go to the store, you know that there's a big process that goes into going to the store when you have a baby. And so their lives were changed forever because of that, absolutely. But that was the least of it. That was the least of how their lives were changed. Their lives were changed forever because of who he was, much more than simply where he was. And I'm sure that Joseph and Mary really couldn't comprehend who the Christ was for a very long time. Uh, But I imagine that Joseph and Mary, I imagine that they both felt the weight of parenthood uh, much greater than any other parent because they knew that the child that they were carrying in their arms was God's only begotten son. They knew that they were responsible for raising and caring for the Christ. They were responsible for providing a home for the Christ. But I bet the reality of who he was wasn't really apparent to them for a very long time. Thinking about homes and, and raising children, you know, our homes are so important because it's at home that we not only talk about love and trust and faith, but it's at home that we learn to live with love and trust and faith. It's at home, if it's at home, if it's a home where we don't just talk about peace and goodwill to men, uh, but we live it out. If we live it out, then our children will go into the world as ambassadors of peace. But if our children don't learn peace at home, they won't go out as ambassadors of peace. They'll go out into the world being very angry and not sharing very much peace with other people. Home is the starting point. Home is a is a critical starting point. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us took the message of Christmas and made it a permanent part of our home and our lives and we put it into practice all year long? Jesus makes all the difference in our lives. If we take Christ into our homes, if we take Christ into our jobs, into our schools, to all of our lives, then he becomes the solid foundation that we build our lives on. We mustn't leave Christ in the manger after Christmas. Christ must not remain in the manger. He must live with us every day of our lives, all, all year long. It's interesting to me that God never promised Mary and Joseph a life of ease. You might think under the circumstances, <clears throat> whereas they didn't really choose to be the Lord's parents, uh, Joseph, his stepfather, you would think that maybe under the circumstances of the inconvenience of that uh, unexpected pregnancy and all of the uh, unexpected things, the uh, dealing with neighbors talking and friends talking and everything that went with that uh, unexpected pregnancy, you would think that Mary and Joseph might have earned a life of ease after the birth of baby Jesus, wouldn't you? 
But God didn't give that to them. Sometime uh, not long after the birth of Jesus, the wise men came bringing really, really valuable gifts, all the gold and, and everything. And that would have been really exciting. And maybe at first they would have thought, oh, good, we can remodel the kitchen now. Maybe we can buy a new donkey. But immediately after the wise men came and then departed, there was a time of extreme hardship for Joseph and Mary. The gold wasn't there for their convenience. It was there for their necessity because they fled from Bethlehem to Egypt. Listen to Matthew 2, the 13th verse. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night, and they left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And in the 16th verse, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged and he sent, and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. When he had heard that... uh, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So finally, after they had lived in Egypt, which was a, 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 not a friendly land for them, Finally, when they returned, they came to Nazareth. You would think then maybe their life became a bed of roses. Maybe then um, everything was uh, was easy. They were on easy street, but I know it wasn't. They worked. They paid bills. They bought food. They did laundry. Remember, there were no disposable diapers in those days. They went through all of the monotonies and all of the difficulties of ordinary life, caring for the most important child in the history of the world living in a conquered land under the iron fist of Rome, and they would have had a lot of concerns. God didn't provide a life of ease for Joseph and Mary, and he doesn't give us a life of ease either. If anyone makes you that promise, they're misleading you. Somewhere along the way, Joseph drops out of the scene. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Clearly at some point he died, well, we don't know how or when he died, but at some point in time, Mary found herself without a husband and without a father at home to help her with her children. And life was not easy for her. Life was difficult. This is where the rubber meets the road when we're living a changed life. We understand that once we meet the Lord, once we meet the Christ, we're changed. But that does not mean that our life is a life of ease from that point on. What it means is that we see life differently. We approach things differently now. We live differently. Life doesn't just knock us flat on our back like it would have before we met the Lord. 
We're changed people, even if it isn't a life of ease. Sometimes I wonder maybe if Mary could have felt like God had forgotten about them. But then she would have known that he hadn't. The reality is, is that we Christians are going to have problems in the coming year. But we've met Christ. We're changed people. We may cry tears. We might face financial problems. We might be touched by illness and hardship, maybe even death. Life will not be a life of ease, but we're changed people. And we respond differently to life's difficulties. Jesus in our lives is what makes all the difference. He gives us a solid foundation. He gives us the strength to endure. He gives us the strength to overcome with grace. So the real work of Christmas is just starting. Christmas is not over. The work is just starting. Don't leave Christ in the manger. Bring him with you. Make him a part of your everyday life. At Christmas time, we always hear the story of the wise men. We know that they're wise because they sought Jesus. They were wise because they had faith. They were wise because they worshiped the Lord, and they were changed forever because of it, all because of a very special child. The question is, what about you? Are you looking for a change in your life? Seek Jesus, and you'll find him this Christmas. Find him, and I guarantee that you'll be changed. Things will be different. And then step out in faith and seek him as the wise men did. So all the presents have been unwrapped. The suspense is over. And in a few days we'll take down our Christmas trees and we'll put the decorations back in storage. But may the message of Christmas stay with us. May the songs of peace and hope stay in our hearts. May the presence of Christ stay with us. May our homes be filled with fragrance and sounds and that spirit of Christmas all year long. May we take its message with us so that the entire world will be touched by it just like we've been touched by it. So tonight, God's invitation is extended to you. And if you've never experienced God's love, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I'd invite you to make that decision tonight. You can do that just by simply recognizing that you need a Savior and ask Jesus for forgiveness and turn away from the sinful lifestyle and accept the Lordship of Jesus in your life. If you're still searching for Jesus and you'd like help with that journey or maybe you're searching for a church home, then I'd invite you to come over to the River Christian Fellowship. You can go to the Christian, the riverchristianfellowship.com and uh, we would love to take that journey with you. So let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth, living as a man and bringing the message of forgiveness and salvation to us. Lord God, we give you all praise and all glory. And Lord, we give you the lordship of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. 
If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.